tell you too much except for our purpose is to put hope in reach. We know that there is a major issue happening in society and it's not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. There is an amazing amount of people lost um, under addiction and having life-controlling addictions in society. And there's lots of functional addiction. And our heart is to go, how do we empower the local church to actually reach the community that is actually being ripped off with addictions? Whether it's pornography, whether it's gambling, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, addictions, digital addictions, it is wrecking our families. Many years ago, and this isn't my sermon, so I'm going to get caught up here, but many years ago, um, God gave me a prophetic word, and I'll never forget it. It stuck with me, it's been with me, it's what's driven me, and it was this. I was prayed for in a church of Christ, and a th- guy said to me, God wants you to read Judges 6. So I went home and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. Through the night, I read it, and I got this picture that there's the people of God in a cave, while the enemy was destroying the harvest that belonged to the people. And I think too often the church is inside our four walls and there's an enemy. He's destroying a harvest that belongs to the kingdom of God. And we need to get outside of our walls. We need to get back outside onto the porches that, uh, that I've heard about recently and get back on the porches and engage the community again because there is a, there's, a, there's a community that's being lost. My wife works with the family court and she will tell you, she goes through as a consultant um, with families and it's painful what's happening in society. And yes, I love God, I love worshipping, I love coming to church but we need to move out of here. We need to move out because there's a world. It's not about building our church. It's about building the kingdom. It's not about building the, filling the seats. It's actually about saving the, the crop that's being destroyed. And that's what Adult and Teen Challenge wants to do. It wants to put hope in reach, that we exist to put hope in reach of lives struggling with life-controlling addictions. The hope that we have transforms lives, communities, and families. Hebrews 6, 19, let hope be your anchor that draws you into the presence of of God. And we want to birth it out of grace. Grace stands for generosity. We have to be a people. The people of God should be so generous because our God is a generous God. We want to birth it out of grace. Generosity, relationship, because we know that addiction is broken when there is a strong community. And according to research, this isn't secular research and spirituality. Who holds community and spirituality? The church. The church is the place where we can actually break the strongholds of life-controlling addictions. And so relationships are key. Authentic relationships, authenticity is another key out of grace. But it's also going to be Christ-centric. It's got to be birthed on Jesus. Jesus came to set the captives free. So we have to be Christ-centric and we're going to do it with excellence. Our motto is God and good practice. So out of grace, we birth something that I believe that Jesus came to earth to do. At the Adult and Teen Challenge, we've been working on a model down, down at uh, Esperance. We've been trying to, to establish a program that's not just going to be caught up in Esperance, but we believe that w- too much has been given, much is required, and we want to multiply this through WA. 
Our goal is not just to stay in Esperance, but to bring something up to Perth and then eventually move into our remote communities. That's my heart. I don't, it's a big picture. I don't know if we're going to do it, but I believe it's the heart of the Father because we're in a big state and there's a lot of people that need to know Jesus Christ. And we believe that at our Adult and Teen Challenge, we can do it. I want to share a story. We've, I've got some of these at the back. There's a story in here I'd love you to read because you know the guy. It's Isaac who's been to your church, and I know that some of you have been down to Esperance, and Isaac's story is amazing. I baptized Isaac a little while ago, um, and he's now comes through the program, and he's working at Wongafa, which is the Aboriginal um, school next door to us, the Christian school. He's working in there, changing lives. Isn't that cool? So read the story and also sign up for my golf day. I need golfers. Please sign up for my golf day. Oh, I've got to raise $300,000, so please sign up for my golf day. I would really love for you to do that. But I want to show you a video. I'd love to have brought someone with me, but it's hard to do that. So I want to show you a video of a guy called Abdul. Some of you may know Abdul. Beautiful guy. He was actually um, comes from a Muslim background. He, uh, he came to our program after being, he lived on the streets from the age of 14. And you listen to his story because there's something in his story that will encourage us. Um, there's something in his story about just not being judgmental but being relational because there's a lot of people that we could, we could change lives with. So watch Abdul's story for me. Yeah, hi, my name's Abdul and I'm a... Um Graduated from the Adult and Teen Challenge 2022. Like, I had a great childhood growing up. I was blessed and I was privileged. I lost my mom and I started looking for, like, belonging and purpose in the wrong things. My brothers, my street brothers were my family. And after 16, life started getting more hectic, slowly but surely. I started running into the wrong people and hanging around the wrong crowd. I started using drugs and started living as a function addict for a couple years started progressively getting into worse and worse crimes and yeah, it led me down a very dark path. In 2017, when I got incarcerated and I realized that I truly had no family or friends around that really were there for me in my incarceration and yeah, I came out of jail really wanting and knowing that I needed to change. I found out about Adult Teen Challenge through a friend I met who was a practicing Christian and he didn't judge me, he walked beside me and encouraged me when I was in my darkest moments. I wanted the peace he had. When I first got here, I wasn't the friendliest person, I wasn't the nicest person, so I was unagreeable, I was hostile, and I didn't get why people wanted to love on me here, and I always thought they were out to get me, so. I wasn't a practicing Muslim, like growing up, but I did have faith, and coming to a Christian rehab was not something I thought that I'd do in my lifetime, but Coming to Adult and Teen Challenge has probably been the best choice I made because for the first time in a long time, I felt love that I can't explain. People that love on me for no reason, nothing to gain for themselves and like getting to know Christ. The biggest thing that led me to Him would probably, would probably be the concept about grace. But if like growing up, I thought that that everything was like work-based. You had to earn God's favor and all that. But when it comes to Jesus, it's grace and it's given freely. All you got to do is be willing to accept it. And the biggest restoration I feel that God did in my life personally is I'm less angry. Like 
it didn't used to take a lot to get me angry and get me fired up. So knowing that not every action deserves a reaction has probably been the most vital thing I've learned here. So the one spot that used to help me a lot when I used to struggle or I had stuff on my mind would probably be by the balcony behind the dining hall. I used to look out and just look at the lake and just picture a big, a big clock and yeah, every hour represented a month. That clock was like something that grounded me and always reminded me that I was here for a season and a reason. So I started the program on October 6th and 2021 and I graduated the 15th of December 2022 and yeah I'm currently studying to get myself for and in the next couple of months I'm hoping to start work as a um, support worker or carer and yeah I'm, lo I'm looking forward to that now, all I gotta say is if you think you're too far gone if you think you're not fixable just know that's what I thought before I came here and <laughs> like every story is a testimony and like everything that you've been through can become a lesson for other people so they like will not go through the same stuff you did. I love that story because he was an angry boy. We nearly had to take him home because he nearly punched one of our guys out. He was very angry. Um, but now he's one of our best support workers. Um, he's actually on team. And he is, he is just amazing. And God has just changed his heart. Um, and that's what I love. You know, the, you know this, the concept that people loved on him. And he kept thinking, why are you doing it? What do you want from me? You know, the greatest gift we have is love. Um, and we can do that. So I'm going to take you to the Word today. So that, that's a little bit of Adult and Teen Challenge. But let me take you to the Word. I want to share. I was said, Steve, say something that... Just speak what's on your heart. And I want to share something to you that's been a journey for me over the last probably, well, it'll be over 12 months now. Because I think God is speaking to his church. There's something happening in our state. People are starting to come to church, and it's not because of the good coffee, and it's not because we give lovely welcome packs, and it's not because we have a great strategic plan on how to keep people to stay. It's because God is doing something in our state. There is healings happening. And it's like it's not massive. It's not one church. It's all churches. It's not one denomination. It's all denominations. God is doing something. He's bringing people. There's a hunger in society right now. And I want to share something with you because I think God wants to speak to us. So before I do, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask right now that, Lord God, you will make yourself so big in this place that the size of you will be bigger than we ever thought before, that, God, you will, you will take your word and that you will just uh, start a, a fire within us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open the word. Hebrews 11, verse 6. I've had an amazing week of God just turning up in strange places. He's been shouting at me this week. And this is a verse that came to me, and it was this. And it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. You cannot please God without faith no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you work doesn't matter how big our church might become you will not please him unless you first have faith but this is it 
anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You've got to believe that he exists first and then seek him. Mark and I, we, it was about last year actually, it was July last year, we went to the big red bash in Birdsville. If anyone knows about that, Birdsville is like miles away in the desert in the middle of our country and we took... We did 8,000 kilometres in three weeks, which sounds crazy. We drove across the Great Central. We went through the Udadana Track and the Birdsville Track and the Great Central Track. And we, were, we camped out with our camper in the middle of nowhere. It was awesome. Like, there was no one around. We were in the middle of the desert. I think I know why the old prophets of the old days, they used to go to the desert because there's something in the desert, there's something in a wilderness that's amazing. And we're camped there and there's no one around for oh, hundreds of miles. And Maggie, had, uh, she decided that the day had finished, so she'd gone into the camper. And I'm sitting outside by my little fire, all the lights are off, and I'm ready to say my evening prayers and to give God his to-do list to keep him busy while I slept, right? So I'm about to give my prayer list to God, and I'm sitting in my camper chair, and I looked up to the sky, ready to give him instructions, and I went, oh my goodness, there's a lot of stars up there. There's a lot of stars. And the more I look, it's like they were cre being created as I was looking. It was like, oh, my goodness. And I'd look into the blackness and think, that goes and goes and goes and there's no end. And as I looked up there at these stars, I went, you made that. You are a big God. And as I started to think about that, I thought, God, I've made you so small. I've put that big God into my little list of requests. I've put that big God into my little world. I've put that big God and made him so small, I've actually wondered, maybe that's why people don't come to God anymore. We've made him too small. We've brought the God of creation into our little world. And I wonder if we've made him, and I started to think about it, I wonder if we've made God so familiar. I've been hearing these trendy prayers lately where we call him daddy. I even heard someone call him mate. And I thought, I know it sounds trendy, but he's more than a daddy. You see, there's only twice in scriptures where he's called Abba, which is daddy. Because it's always followed by Abba, father, both times. It says the Holy Spirit will cry out, Abba, father. Father is patriarch. Father is one to be respected. If anyone's read the, uh, the St. John of the Cross's um, Dark Night of the Soul, and he talks about the beginners and he talks about children... And if you look at, there's a guy called um, Mark Foley who writes a book. He's, he's a monk and a psychologist and he does an exegesis of this particular writings. And he says, you know, we are children of God, but we've got to stop being infant children and we've got to start being adult children. See, infant children need daddy to do everything. Daddy, do this. I sit on daddy's knee. Um, daddy looks after me. Daddy protects me. But when I become an adult... 
what happens? We start looking after our dads, right? That's what I keep telling my boys anyway. But we get to a place where dad is all wisdom. Dad is the one that doesn't do everything for us, but he directs us. And we need to grow to a place of seeing him as the patriarch, the father, the one who should be respected, the one that should be honoured. And I wonder if in our little walk, we need to start looking up into the stars again and start seeing how big our God is. Reminds you of the scripture of Isaiah 40. Everyone goes to the end of Isaiah 40, right? You know, if you are, you know, um, even young men will go tired and weary, but those that wait upon the Lord, right. But what does it say before that? Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Here is my question today. How big is your God? How big is your God, the one that we've been worshipping today? How big is your God? Because sometimes I think we've made him too small. A Jewish biblical scholar by the name of James Cargill, he said this, Greeks learn in order to comprehend. Hebrews learn in order to revere. We want to comprehend. They want to respect, to revere, to stand in awe. The modern man learns in order to use. To the modern man, everything seems calculated. Everything is reduced to a figure. He has a supreme faith in statistics and he adores the idea of mystery. He ignores the fact that we are surrounded by things which we, we apprehend but cannot comprehend. That even, re- that even reasons is a mystery to itself. He is sure of his ability to explain. The, the awareness of grandeur and the sublime is all but gone from the modern mind. The sense for the sublime, the sign of the inward, the greatness of the human soul and something which is potentially given to all men is now a rare gift. Yet without it, the world becomes flat and the soul a vacuum. In his writings, he actually says this. He says, there was a guy um, that came from Iraq. He was a Jewish guy. He came from Iraq. He went to the West in America and he had a culture shock. And his culture shock was simply this. He said, in his world, a Jewish world, you saw man as small and God as big. But as he sat under great wise theologians, he suddenly realized that in the West, we see as man as big and God as small. And he struggled with that because we've made God as big as our needs, God as big as our world. And I want to suggest to you that we need to get out of that and look into the stars and start to get to a place of going, wow, 
my God is big. I need to believe he exists as God, not as my helper. And I wonder if in that, life might change. I was driving along this week and, um, and uh, I was actually on my way. I hate driving in the city. I don't mind driving in the country, but in the city drives me crazy. And I'm driving, and I was feeling pretty bad, right? I had a tough week. I came up with some ideas, and I kept falling in a hole. Everyone was questioning me, and, and I'm starting to go, God, I can't do this director business. It's too big. I'm going to go, look, there's someone else who can do it better than me. Let's get jo- I'll bring up Jacob Hill. He can do it, because I'm just going to go and work in Bunnings, you know? I'm, I'm happy doing that. I don't need to do this. And I was feeling pretty down because there was all these things that are above, in the words of Malcolm Smith, above my pay rate. And it was like I was struggling. And then I got a phone call from a good friend of mine, Pastor Aaron Price. And he says, Steve, how you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. He said, I, I don't know why. I, I had a dream last night. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I gave this guy, I don't know who it was, this slip of paper. I said, oh, yeah, what was it? He said, I said it on an Acts 14, Acts 4.14. He said, it's, it's like here were these guys, these disciples, and they're being questioned about what they were doing, and they were told that they were no good because they weren't learned and they weren't equipped. And yet it says, but they saw the authority on them and that they had been with Jesus. You see, the authority of a God on you and you being with Jesus, it's the two things. It's not just the authority, but it's being with Jesus. You see, it's not just the faith of believing, it's the faith of being with. And I think we need to get back to being with and to see God for who He is. Because the authority of God on our lives comes from being with Him. And then they saw the, the results of their ministry and they couldn't argue it. See, it comes with His authority after being with Him. You see, David, King David, right? He comes along. Well, he wasn't a king then, he was only a little bloke, but there was a king Saul and the army of Israel, which is a massive army, so much bigger than the Philistines, and yet they met a stalemate because there was a giant out there. It just so happens that King Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else, yet there was a giant that was holding them back. And King David, little David comes along, the shepherd boy, and he goes, what are you thinking? Our God's bigger than that. Our God is bigger than that giant. Our God can do that. How big is our God? Is our God bigger than the giants? Is our God bigger than poverty? Is our God bigger than addictions? Is our God bigger than our our need for healing? Is our God bigger than that? How big is our God? I think we've got to come back to that place and rise up. We talk about it, but do we know it? Do we stand up and go, what are you talking about? Let me get those stones. Let's get that sling. Let's go for it. See, we can pray here. We can worship here and say, God is so good. Hallelujah. Amen. But do I live it? Because if I lived it, life might be different. If we stood up strong, my God, he's a big God. I want to take you to a place. I want to take you to a place today. I want to take you up a hill. Not Kalamunda Hill, a bit bigger than that. I want to take you up a mountain. Because I'd like us to go to a place today and see God for who he is. And see how it changes our lives. See how it changes your posture. See how it changes the way you you speak and the way you pray and the way you 
move. Because faith is only going to grow when we actually get to a place of being with him and seeing how big he is. Then your faith is going to grow. It won't grow just sitting here reading and believing and having it in our heads. It grows when we actually meet with him. Let's go to uh, Matthew 7, 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John. After six days. What's happened? What's the day after six days? The seventh day. The Sabbath, right? We need those Sabbaths. So after six days, Jesus took him, Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. We need to go by ourselves. this This isn't a community thing. This is an individual thing. There he was. Sorry, by themselves. Right. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before them Moses, Elijah. We won't go into the theology behind that because it's amazing. Talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, this is great. This is so good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That's why we know the Catholics weren't up there. Because if the Catholics were there, they would have built a temple. They would have built a church. And that's how we know the Protestants weren't there, because we would have done a warehouse. But (laughs) these guys wanted to build a tent. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus, I love this, he comes and touches them. If I was terrified and Jesus in his glory touched me, I'd be dead. But Jesus gently touches them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up and they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I want to give you a couple of thoughts here very quickly. A couple of thoughts. How do we get back to that place where our God becomes bigger than we thought? Number one, first comes the invitation. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John. There's an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. There's an invitation, church, for us to get up, put down tools, and go and be with Jesus. There is an invitation from heaven. There's an invitation from the kingdom of God saying, guys, would you come away with me for a bit? Come. You know, I I don't know if we're hearing the invitation. 
There's an invitation. There's an invitation to us saying, come on, come. This was a significant time. If you only look at this, this is where these guys moved from Jesus being a rabbi of authority to now being the Messiah. This was really significant. This was a transitional time. And some of us are in that transitional time right now where God's saying, you knew me like this, but I want to show you like this. Here's an invitation today. Do you want to see God differently? Do you want to see a bigger picture of him? Do you want to see him more than what you've seen of him before? Here's an invitation. Would you come? Would you come? Second things, they got away. We need to get away. See, Pete, come on, we're going up the mountain. Well, okay. He has to walk away from everyday life. As he goes up that mountain, so further away are all those issues of the day. We have got a society which is so bogged down right now. We're bogged. Do you know your phone? Your phone has been programmed to be the first thing that you will pick up in the morning. Has anyone noticed that your phone seems to bing just at the right time in the morning? Because Microsoft and Apple and all these guys have worked really, really hard to work out how to get you on your phone. And our phones are controlling our lives and that information that's coming through. It's crazy. We, no wonder we have a mental illness problem in society. We've got ourselves so busy, so anxious, so depressed about all this stuff that's just burning me up. And we need to get away. We need to put it down. We need to step away. There's a quote by uh, Richard Foster who said this, Our adversary majors in three things. Noise, hurry and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. No wonder Jesus said, take a day off once a week, have a Sabbath. We need to learn to get away. Jesus was so busy, yet he got away, it says. He went away into the wilderness. He went away by himself. He heard that his good mate and cousin, John the Baptist, had died, had his head chopped off. What did he do? He got away. We need to learn the practice of getting away of being still every day don't pick up your phone don't go and and get busy on looking what your emails are or what's going to happen on your day sit down and be still and know i am god how big is your god has our god got so so much in the background now that we've actually pushed him to one side and we know about him we talk about him but we he's become too small because I got too busy. Get away. Come and spend time. But you know what? Has anyone climbed a mountain? I've climbed Kalamunda Hill um, and uh, Mount Kosciuszko once. Mount built that. Uh, built, that was hard work. Do you know what? Getting away is hard work. Getting us being still and trying to turn off my brain is hard work. Do you know why? When Jesus was in the wilderness which was actually about being secluded, all stuff, all the battles come up to the surface. 
all your battles come up when you're alone. All your battles. At Esperance, us, these guys, everything comes to the surface when you're separated, right? And it doesn't just happen with students. It happens with our staff. Stuff comes to the surface. When we're alone, look out, stuff comes to the surface. It's a battle in the darkness. It's a battle in the quietness. It's a battle in... But we've got to go through the battles to actually see who God is. So we need to do it and it will be hard. But push through. I have a spot in my house. I have a veranda in Kalamunda, everybody knows it walks past my street and goes for jogs knows Steve's out the front of his house every day I get up in the morning I get my Bible I will not take my phone I will not take my laptop I take my Bible and I sometimes don't even open it I just want to be still and just think about God just to meditate to contemplate to think about God just for five minutes you try it every day five minutes just think about how big God is just go up the mountain for a bit just for five minutes, and you watch how it changes your day. And then they were filled with awe. They were overwhelmed with awe. There he was, changed. Another writer I like to read, she wrote, has, um, has written books about being Jesus the rabbi and in the dust of the rabbi, and it's some great writings because I'm going to Israel next year, so I've been reading a lot of her stuff. And this is what she said. The fear of the Lord, which actually is rajah, which actually means to reverent or to give awe to. So fear is not to, trim, to be scared. Fear is to actually have a respect for, to actually have an awe. She says, the fear of the Lord is an awe-filled love of God that allows us to grow in deeper knowledge. We need, if you want to grow in knowledge of God, get lost in his awe and his wonder. Get out there and look at some stars. You know, Abram, who was told he was going to have lots of kids, and he was 99, he was pretty flaming old, and he's there in his tent, and the, and the, the guy says, come outside of your tent. You see, our tents of life stop us from seeing the stars. The tents stop us seeing his glory. The sense becomes our ceiling. And we need to step out of the ceiling and look up. Spend some time looking up. Get lost in his awe. And then it says, listen to him. Listen to him. We need to learn to listen. Mother Teresa was asked once, she said, uh, a reporter said, what do you say when you pray? She says, nothing, I just listen. What does God tell you? Nothing. Because God's language is silence. He might not speak to you. Learn to be still. Learn to be silent. Learn just to actually see him for who he is. Can I invite you to come up to the mountain? Come up to the mountain. But I love this. They didn't stay on the mountain. They didn't stay up there, right? If they'd stayed up there, that would have been no good. They went up the mountain. They saw how big God is. They saw how big Jesus is. This is going to transform who they see as Jesus and what they think of God. This is different for a Jewish person. And they're going, wow. And Jesus said, okay, let's go down. Because you see, when we go back down from the mountain, Jesus, when he went away, 
he then they went looking for him and they said, he said, okay, I'm ready now. And then he went to the towns and ministered. We have to come down from the mountain. I've got a good friend, Tom. He's, uh, he was actually a pastor and we went on a similar journey. He was a potter's house pastor. And Tom, um, he, amazing journey, but I won't say the whole thing, but he now runs um, and is part of the Chamber of Commerce down in, Middle, in the Swan. I'm on the Chamber of Commerce up in Kalamunda, so we've got this similar journey. And one day he said to me, Steve, do you want to come to one of my hours of power? Which is basically his trendy way of going, getting all the local businesses around and talking about business. So he's doing this little lecture, group work, on business. Just so happens to use a proverb as his baseline, but he didn't tell him that, that it was a proverb. And he's sharing about how to run a business. And then he opened it up and he said, is there any questions? And it was a very wealthy, well-known businessman in that room who actually would say he's an atheist, right? So all these business, none of them go to church. He says, any questions? The lady sitting next to me, all of a sudden is quiet and she goes, I need God. What happened? And, and, and then there was this great conversation about spirituality. And I'm going, we're talking business. He hasn't mentioned God. What happened there? Everyone left. I'm still sitting at the table. He comes up. How are you going, Steve? Good, mate. Good. And I said, what happened? And he said this to me. He said, Steve, it's not what you do that counts. It's what you carry. It's not what we do, it's what we carry. When we see God for who he is, when we spend time alone with him, when we allow, it's what we carry makes the difference. People will see something in you. People will see something of of his awe and his wonder because it's Christ in you is the hope of glory. And I think we've got to learn to take that time out. Stop doing. Come out of our tent every day. Spend time reflecting on who he is. Don't try and come up with another Bible verse or another sermon. That's what I do. Stop, be still. And allow his awe, his wonder, his glory broaden our picture of how big God is. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Let me tell you, God's still not big enough. Don't ever think you got there. Your God's still not big enough. You'll never be big enough. Let him grow his bigness in you. Let it grow and let it grow. If you've never been giving your life to Jesus, I want you to consider this. God is bigger than, than what we see on the news about church. God is bigger than what people say about Christians. God is bigger than that. He is a big God. He created the heavens and the earth. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He's got the future in his hands. He put the stars up there. He is a big God. And guess what? He's inviting you up the mountain to meet him. But it will mean putting some stuff down. It will mean saying, God, I'm going to put down my pride. I'm going to put down, I want to actually discover you. Can I tell you one more story? It's a true story. If you've ever been down to site, you would have met one of our guys called Bill. Bill's awesome. I love Bill. Special man. Bill comes from Vietnam, 
back-end story. It's not great. And uh, he's never known God. In fact, Buddhist background. He comes to Australia and uh, family's broken down. He ends up getting heavy into drugs. He was actually Mirabuka and he actually had overdosed in the toilets in Mirabuka. He should have died. They rushed him to Royal Perth Hospital. They managed to revive him. He should have been dead. The doctors were amazed. They said, mate, we, 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 we tried one more time to bring you back. You're about to give up. Bill then goes through Royal Perth Hospital detoxing. And anyone's been do through detox? I haven't, but I've spoken to people who have. It's hell. He was going through hell at Royal Perth Hospital. He doesn't know God, right? He shouts out in that place of pain and he's going, if there's a God, give me a sign. Right? So he, two days later, he's out the front of Royal Perth Hospital having a fag, having a cigarette. He's just out the front there, everybody else on the taxi lane, right? And his bloke comes up and he says, he looked like a homeless man, homeless bloke. He says, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, mate, thinking that he's going to bum a smoke off him. He says, hey, mate. Are you looking for a sign? He said, pardon? And he gave him this flyer. And it said, if you're looking for a sign from God, this is it. Hello? See, God is a God who's so big and he's calling us to him. And he wants us to know him. Not know religion, not know no busyness. He wants us to know him. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, can I tell you? He's calling you. He's inviting you up the mountain to meet him. And this could be your day. And if, you, and if you're online, please, this might be the day for you. I hope so. Because I know he's changed my life and he changes it every day. Every day he's meeting me and he's changing me. He's doing something in here every day. If you've been journeying your walk for a long time, can I tell you, your God's still not big enough yet. And he's inviting you today even today, to say, come up the mountain. Can I ask you to stand? Close your eyes for one moment. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, or even just take the invite to come up the mountain, can I say this is your chance? All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. All you have to do is say, I'll come. I'm prepared to put some stuff down. I'm coming because I want to see you for who you are. If that's you in this place, put your hand up because I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray together. Um, don't have to, but I'm going to just want to give you that invite because if I don't, <laughs> I know when I talk to him tomorrow, he won't be happy. <laughs> Thank you. Because he's calling you right now. If you're online, he's calling you. He's calling you up a mountain to meet him. Let's pray together. Father, we're going to come before you right now. With those that have responded, we're going to pray together and we're going to say, Jesus, I hear your invite to meet you. I put down all those fears. I put down all that stuff that separated me for so long. I put that down and I choose to come with you up the mountain. And this morning... I give my life to Jesus. Amen. And if you have been a Christian like me for a long time, 
I want you to just keep your eyes closed. I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in worship. I don't just want us to worship. I love that song that was written right back from about 1980s, 1990s, I think it was, in a little church, in the Anglican Church in England, where the pastor said, you know what? This worship stuff we've been doing, the smoke machines, the lights, the sound, all that sort of stuff, let's stop it for a while. Let's just strip it away. Let's get back to what it's all about. And the worship pastor went home and he put a song together and he said, I don't know, this is my prayer to God. And the pastor said, this is a, this is a song for the world. And it was simple. Lord, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the things I've made it because it's all about you. Let's go into a place of worship right now as a team lead us. But I want you to imagine right now, I'm just putting everything to one side. It's okay, the Dockers and the Eagles, they can wait. I'm putting it to one side and I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to climb the mountain. I want to see you, God, for who you are. And if it means you have to go on your knees, go on your knees. If it means you want to take your shoes off because you're on holy ground, take your shoes off. If you just want to be still and say it's not sing, that's okay too. Will you please meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Would I let our hearts embrace the bigness of an amazing God? When the music 